2: Hi Bomby fans, And Bob's Pure Forecast, episode 146. Well, there's not much to play for, but the Blues remain unbeaten since we last spoke. Joining the forecast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? I'm not so bad, Hugh.
0: Yeah, it was nice to see you on Saturday for the Lincoln game. Really enjoyed that one. Um, had some weird flu-y cold thing that I'm still suffering from. And yeah, I felt like death on the Sunday and that was... Probably about as similar as the players felt after after the Monday game against Morecambe because my God that was that killed off the season unfortunately. I was all excited uh, suddenly there was that little little thing after the Lincoln game where they battled back to three two and I thought you know what there's a there's the smallest of small chances even though I thought it wouldn't happen but now that glimmer's gone away and we're in the rare position of having games that don't really matter that much for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, game, games obviously don't matter. I didn't have a glimmer of hope, to be honest. I was just enjoying the fact that we obviously got the win at the end. But I, what I did think is maybe we could launch an assault on on Oxford, who are in eighth position. So, that you know, I've been talking about the battle for ninth, but had we won the game against Morecambe, the battle for eighth place was on, which is obviously really exciting for all of the Pompey fans listening to that. I play.
0: know, exhilarating. He's still having the, the effects of the beer we were drinking on Saturday. <laughs>
2: I didn't shake that off particularly quickly, and uh, obviously I got a little bit ill afterwards as well. So it's, it's in our in our voices a little bit, but we're still going to bring this podcast to you, even though we're not quite on top form, Fred, but we're going to bring some energy anyway, aren't we?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Always. I, I, don't, I think we've all done podcasts already where we've been suffering from various ailments, so I'm sure we'll be all right.
2: Let's get into the running order then and crack on, because first of all, we're going to review the game against Lincoln. Full on from that, we're going to touch on the rather uneventful game away at Morecambe. And then we put a question out for you guys because current affairs, you know, what's going on at the club and games, we just said they don't matter that much. However, we said to you guys, are you looking forward to the summer transfer window and what should we expect? And finally, not just for me and Freddie, we've got the superb map from Jill's in the Bloods on the podcast, the preview, the game against Gillingham. Right. Freddie, let's get into the Lincoln game. Michael Appleton said they were the better side and they deserve to win. I like you, Michael Appleton, but I don't quite think that was true. But Pompey were back looking at heat maps again, Freddie, to attacking predominantly down the right-hand side Not much balance in the team, but if you look at where the game was played most of of the game, 25% was played in the Pompey third, whilst 39% was played in the Lincoln third. So Lincoln's possession that they had was was predominantly more in their own half. And I actually thought that the first half, Freddie, both teams sort of played a little bit of a chess match and sort of found it hard to have to play against each other and create decent goal-scoring opportunities.
0: Yeah, most of the play was in the midfield, wasn't it, for both sides? The pressing statistics were about the same. It was um, both sides effectively struggling to get a lot of chances, which I found a bit strange to a certain extent. Pompey had been playing a bit better going forward recently and Lincoln aren't necessarily a bad side attacking-wise, so I thought it would be a bit more open than it was. But yeah, it was, it was strange. that The first half didn't offer very much, but thankfully it, it all came to life in the second.
2: Yeah, especially thankfully for your prediction, Freddie Webb. But ding, the I uh,
0: know, not bad, not bad. Not obviously, not obviously not the goal scorers, because
2: John Marquis
0: didn't look very good off the ball. But we've we, we've seen that before, so I wasn't going to give that a mention. But yeah, I know I, I can't remember the last time I actually got a score prediction right. So fair, fair enough. I'll, I'll take that all day long. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we might as well touch on John Marcus since he's come up and we'll segue into that quickly. He had that one chance where the ball came through. He was a little bit wide, wasn't he, when he took the shot and Bizzouna did really well to close the space down against him. But apart from that, I can't really remember him doing very much. Can you? Yeah,
0: I think that was more well down to good keeping, to be honest. Uh, Marquis was a little ride, but, it, but if, if Pompey had a goalkeeper who was rooted to his line, John Marcus might have been able to cut it back and pass it to a Lincoln player who was running into the penalty area. So I don't... I don't. I wouldn't blame him for that lack of chance. But no, it, 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 seemed, it seemed very routine for Pompey centre-halves when he was up front, really. Obviously, Lincoln managed to score two goals after so Ports would go two of the up, so it wasn't entirely comfortable the entire game. But no, he didn't have as much of an impact on the game as he would have liked to.
2: Let's talk about the penalty appeal. I'm sorry, the penalty. There's no appealing. You know, we actually did get a given. Ball comes in, Harness sort of tries to get a shot away. It comes back out. Michael Jacobs gets fouled in the box. Freddie, do you think it's the penalty? It seemed pretty obvious to me. Didn't
0: really think much about it. Uh, obviously, I wasn't in the stand when I saw it. Literally, I was walking up the stairs. And we saw we saw George Hurst lining up for the penalty area because Hugh wanted a double vodka. Fair enough. But so I looked at it afterwards. It seemed pretty stone a stone wall. Uh, player was fouled. Nowhere near the Lincoln defender. Nowhere near the ball. Seemed pretty clear cut,
2: didn't it? Yeah I thought it was pretty clear cut just thought I'd ask in case you had a different opinion that's what I'm doing hosting put the question out there but at the same time George Hurst steps up then for the penalty looks fairly confident takes that sort of slow step hits it down to his, his right hand side along the floor and it sort of goes a little bit under the keeper who does guess the right way and maybe will feel a little bit unlucky not to get a hand on that one.
0: Yeah it wasn't the best penalty in the world but Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't even matter if, uh, if the keeper dives too high or if he dives the wrong way, then the penalty taker will score. That's why there's all the advantage there. And yeah, it was great for George Hosef on the score sheet again.
2: And then obviously the Michael Jacobs free kick. Now, this season, we've not been that great at direct free kicks except Rico Hackett when he, he's had a couple where he's looked, looked decent on it. And Jacobs sort of you know places the ball down. It's quite a way out, isn't it? although he's got a bit more of distance sort of before the wall, which sometimes helps be able to curl it over or get it, you know, get it down. But it's a lovely strike, isn't it? Into the top right-hand corner. Oh, it's absolutely lovely finish. Was that the
0: best free kick you've seen at Pompey since? Phew, Gary Roberts against Morecambe in the free-all draw. And that's the only a free kick that came to Probably. mind at that one. I know, I know Hackett's got a few free kicks this season. There was one where he hit it into the wall, but then volleyed it afterwards that was an excellent goal but it wasn't a free kick direct anyway I can't remember the other direct free kick Hackett scored I know he scored another one but I can't remember off the top of my head but no unbelievable finish from Jacobs I just wish he was I just wish he wasn't injured so much this season because whenever he plays whenever he's on form it's obvious he's an excellent player at this level
2: yeah it's obvious that Pompey actually play a lot better when he's in the team I know there's a stat out there, I haven't got it to hand, but Michael Jacobs obviously makes a big difference. And he is a player that gets you out of your seat, isn't he? I think that's one thing that, you know, the fans need sometimes. A player that when he gets the ball, you think something's going to happen. Is he going to dribble it past someone, et cetera? Is he going to, you know, score a free kick? He is a player that people want to come and watch. So I still think it'd be nice to retain him, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. But We can come on to that a bit later.
0: Yeah, I, I don't see it myself. Uh, to be honest, as much as I'd want to, I just think there'd be there'd be clubs in a better position in League One and even the Championship that'll probably offer him much more than what Pompey want to really. So I don't see it myself. It would be nice, but mm-hmm. yeah, sorry to bring the bring the mood down already, but yeah, I, I don't see it.
2: Going back into the game then, I suppose, Lincoln moved the ball nicely down the right-hand side. It looks a little bit like Robertson and Raggett slightly caught sleeping when the ball comes in on the inside. It's quite a nice little through ball to the player there. He hits it sort of second time or whatever and then gets that on goal. Do you think we could have done a bit better there defensively, Freddie, in order to sort of shepherd the ball out and not lose the marker? It looked like Robertson and Raggett, no one quite picked him up in the middle.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, but Ted, I think it was Ted Bishop who scored the first goal. Yeah, he, he, was, he was in a lot of space. But it will but it was a nice low cross to him. Uh from I didn't see who assisted it. Very professional of me, bear with me. Uh Norton Coffee, thank you. Uh Norton Coffey had a lot of space. Low cross it, low cross into the box. Bishop managed to get his way in between the two fenders, but he still had a lot to do. He, he still had to shuffle he still shuffled it into, uh to his left a bit to open up the corner to hit it at the inside outside of his boot. Um don't blame don't blame Zuno, no chance for him really, because he was right in the corner. I thought the second goal was worse from a Portsmouth defensive perspective. But yeah, it definitely put Lincoln back in the game, which Pompey didn't want. Because after the second goal, it looked incredibly comfortable, really.
2: Then the second goal from Lincoln, you're thinking, all right, you know, Lincoln get one back. Pompey just needs to get on the ball again and try and slow it down and you know pass it around a bit. Maybe go for a third, but try and take the sting out of, of Lincoln's attack and make sure there was no momentum. It doesn't happen. Ball comes into the box. Cullen gets on the end of it, sort of flicks it over Big house. Taps it in. Our house. Straight, is straight,
0: in. strangest name. One of the strangest names for a footballer I've seen. Uh, yeah, yep. oh, it, it might not be pronounced as house, but it's definitely spelled as such. So we'll go over that. Yeah. I thought Poppy's defending was a lot worse for this one. Lincoln caught them on the break, but Cullen and house were both in between the center halves and the ball just went through them. It's just the center house, Robertson bracket went there, unfortunately. Again, no chance for Bazunu, house having a lot of space, scoring in the six yard box, and suddenly it was a two-all two-all game. And Pompey were on the ropes a little bit. But thankfully Ronan Curtis came up and capitalized on the mistake from the Lincoln keeper.
2: Yeah, and if Sean Raggart just blasts it on target, keeper fumbles it. Awful piece of goalkeeping, to be fair, from the Lincoln keeper who can't spill that out directly back in front. But maybe he's not expecting Ronan Curtis to pop in, take the ball. Fires home, Pompey ends up winging at 3-2, bang, bang. Ronan Curtis striker should do, and he follows the ball in from a shot. And, you know, that's you go to the dirty areas and you get rewarded.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hanging on the last defender, following up every chance. That's what a striker does. People criticise his performances when he's playing up front a few times. And, yeah, he, acted, he definitely acted on his instinct there, which is brilliant. One thing I didn't notice when I was reading the match report, was mentioned by Neil Allen that, Curtis family suffered from a a second miscarriage, which was horrible. I didn't, uh, this season, didn't hear about that. So it was nice to get rewarded. And the celebration was a nice touch as well. I I hope the Curtis family are coping with that fairly well, um, as well as they can do. And that obviously might be a reason, might be a reason why Curtis's performance has happened to be as up there this season as the previous two. Um, He also mentioned another reason in the paper, which we'll get into later on. But yeah, it mustn't have been easy for him to do with that. So it was nice to have a little moment there for
2: him. Zunia made some good saves in this game as well, didn't he, Freddie? One at the death as well, where fingertip save, I believe he gets a fingertip on it that pushes it onto the post, mm-hmm. which then the Lincoln player sort of skies it afterwards. The cheers of, a hey! bit of relief around Fratton Park. They could have catalyzed on that. If they got a 3-3, probably would have been a fair result. But at the same time, Happy with a 3-2 win? Yeah, it would have
0: been, been fair on the XG as well. Pompey's 3.11 XG compared to Lincoln's 3 XG on the dot. So definitely would have been worth a 3 draw, but no, uh, probably got away with that one, thankfully.
2: Yeah, and, and I think Lincoln, one of those teams, one of the most disappointing teams for me in the league this season, are, you know, performances-wise, and Lincoln would be quite patient to keep Appleton, who's a good manager, but if you had somebody else maybe with less pedigree, I think... Wouldn't be surprised to see a manager like that go, to be honest, the way that Lincoln have played. You could say as well that those over-reliance on loans for Lincoln for key players, like Brendan Johnson, who's gone back and then obviously he's gone to Forest and been a key player in their championship you know, promotion push. If you can't replace those players, you haven't got core, have you, Fred? And I suppose that's maybe a lesson to be learned generally in this league.
0: Well, exactly. Yeah, um, we've seen that happen a lot of times well it happened to Pompey as well (laughs) with certain players who'd be playing against Pompey on Saturday couple players leave the side if you can't replace them with a like-for-like or someone with the same quality then you're and you don't change the tactic to suit then you're scurrying around and it's it's not a way to build a squad long-term in my opinion it's a way to supplement the squad and if you if you bring in a few players to get the squad over if the squad's playoff ready and you bring in a few lone players to get them over the line, it works wonderfully. Um, but if you're, if you're reliant on them for most of your team, then you can't really plan long-term. Because again, you're, you're gonna have to, they'll be gone within a year if it doesn't work, and then you're looking to replace them again.
2: Yeah. Let's move on to the Morecambe game. Let's get this bit out of the way, Freddie. I don't want to dwell on this game too. We have much.
0: to talk about the Morecambe game. We're
2: going to talk about it. I just don't want to dwell on it. There's a difference there, mate. I have more micro elements of the game against Lincoln I want to discuss, but first of all, fair play to the 800-odd Pompey fans who made the trip up to Morecambe. It's incredibly difficult to get to. It's pretty much on the coast of the Lake District. Saw some people having a bit of fun by the seaside.
0: Very nice that they enjoyed that. From my perspective as a Northerner, you, you you'd take ages to get to Blackpool, then you take an hour longer to get to Morecambe. So that's how far away it was from my, my end when I lived up there, but no, fair play to the fans who went up there, who managed to make the journey. It was just a shame the performance didn't match it.
2: Gavin Bizzuno again, man of the match. Do you actually think, if we didn't have Bizzuno in goal, that you know, we could have potentially been on quite a long losing or at least winless streak, Freddie Webb? Well, potentially.
0: No, it's quite obvious at the point that he's player of the season, just with the amount of saves he's making. Sometimes it doesn't show up in the analytics with his prevented goals or his or his expected goal saved above replacement, whatever it is, because some of the shots that he's saving are low XG. They're like curling shots from 25 yards that are going in the corner, but Buzuru manages to claw them out and the stats go, oh, that was a low XG chance. There's no way he should be scoring that in the first place. But you just watch the games. So he makes a key, seemingly a key save or two every single game. There was a double save against Stockton in this, in this one. The, the shot from Arthur Nahua, which he tipped onto the post, that was one of the best saves he's done. Low to, low to his left. It didn't look like he got a hand on it at first, but it was obvious that he did and he gave himself a fist pump, which he should do more, to be honest with you. Yeah, he kept us in this game, kept us in countless other games and he's a major part of a defensive unit that's kept a lot of clean sheets, even though it was chopped and changed around due to formations and that certain defenders being there and not. But again, it's just, it's just a shame that the midfield and the attack didn't match in this game and it was... Quite obvious, looking at the numbers, there was Pompey's 0.57 expected goals, uh, two shots on target, which was grim, and only having eight deep completed crosses and passes to compare to Morecambe's 12 and Morecambe 1.98 expected goals, which is grim. Uh, I know Derek Adams said they should have won four or five. Yes, uh, Hughes giving a symbol which I can't replicate to the young viewers at home, but yeah... I think we all have our opinions on Derek Adams. I don't particularly like him very much, but he was writing in one way that Walkham definitely deserved deserved to win the game. Pompey didn't play very well at all. I thought they were rather slow in midfield. I know it's easy to harp on Sean Williams and especially around Toniklis that pairing, but that midfield pairing doesn't work. I really don't think it works. And there were a few times where Pompey counterattacked. I think George Hurst had a couple of opportunities where he had passing opportunities, but he chose to shoot just little things like that as well which didn't help and it just made people think even even after Pompey scored uh, the goal that they, would only, they were only going to win that game 1-0 which I'm sorry against Morecambe, you're against a relegation candidate, that shouldn't be the case if you're vying for a promotion on the last few games of the season. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I suppose just quickly touch you on strikers. First of all, you see Hurst take that take that shot. Sometimes when you're a striker, you're not getting very many opportunities given to you. You get sort of half a chance at a sniff at goal, don't you? And you think, fuck it, I'm just gonna go in his head,
0: thank God. And then has a shot and it immediately yeah. immediately goes into row D or whatever it is at Morgan's
2: ground. <laughs> that's that's nearly the roof, isn't it?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, good point. I was uh, that was just, you know, guessing at which row it was.
2: Yeah, um, and then you think about another shot. It's not from a striker, but the goal from Sean Raggett—a little turn and shoot—that was pretty. That was pretty impressive, oh, wasn't that it? That
0: was Sean. Prime Benjani. That was against Derby County. Lovely, lo- lovely turn and finish by Racket. That's a sick goal of the season. Which, for her centre half, is quite absurd. I think he definitely deserved his finish. It was, I think, it was probably his best expected goals chance out of that entire game, which was, which says a lot. Yeah, it was just a shame that it petered out so much. Bobby Madley was a referee, a Premier League ref as well. I was quite surprised when looking at some of the decisions made.
2: Yeah, what do you think about their goal? Corner, comes in the box, Baz sort of gets it, spills it. First,
0: I thought Bazunu just spills it. When you look at the replay, you do see Stockton in front of him, which is what strikers should do, with his elbow out, bent over. (sighs) And I think he does make contact with Bazunu as well which matters, and it's not as if it's a random shove from defender to striker. Usually referees protect goalkeepers, and if anybody goes and touches a goalkeeper, then they give a foul. That's just nowadays what we've been used to. I think the problem is we've seen them given, and we've seen them haven't, and there's not a lot of consistency in the Football League. It entirely depends on the referee and what day it is. So, yeah, even even though it may have been a bit harsh, Pompey might have gotten away with it. They didn't perform well enough anyway. And I know Danny Cowley went out in the press afterwards and absolutely slammed Bob Madley for his performance as well. Um, not the biggest fan of that, to be honest. Um, I'm more, uh, it, it, for, for Kenny Jackett, of all his faults, he didn't blame the referee for an entire game about why, why his side lost. I think there were a lot more issues than the refereeing performance in that game, I think.
2: Yeah, I think that's a little bit scapegoating on that one because it's not like we were robbed of like various penalty decisions and like it wasn't an onslaught on the Morecambe goal, which is like only been prevented from you know bad refereeing decisions or penalties given against us or so I think that I think that's a little bit of frustration potentially. And as we said, two shots on target didn't create much. Ragged ends up scoring a goal. It, the midfield for me, as you've already highlighted in the centre. When you can't win the ball there effectively and you can't sort of build any momentum through the middle and create any chances, then you're not going to win games.
0: And Wulcombe had high percentage of uh, duels, uh, offensive and, de- and defensive on the ground. Pompey were much better at aerial duels, but they just, whenever they had the ball in the ground, it was taken off them or they were too slow in the build-up and it broke up a lot, which was very disappointing, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's one of those games that I just think, why are Pompey so shit away from home, Freddie? compared to at home. Is it just that they're motivated by the Fratton Park crowd getting behind them a little bit or they just don't travel well? Last season, it flip-flopped round randomly and we couldn't do well at home. But, you know, historically, we've always been better at home. Uh, and
0: and last season, there were, there were no crowds in away games. So, there was, so that edge was taken away for the home side anyway because usually there's an edge there. I literally don't know what it is. I think it's almost random. Sometimes it's tactical setup because obviously I think Danny Cowley sets up more conservative than normal at certain away games, like we saw against Ipswich. But this was Warcombe and we needed the win. We needed to win all of our games uh, for the rest of the season to have any chance of promotion. Um, I don't think it was the setup. I think it was just poor performances and the rotation, I think. Because I feel like the more the side rotates in general, the worse the performances are due to the fact the squad is not not as deep as it has been over the last few seasons or so.
2: I mean, if you look at the difference, 21 games played at home, 12 wins, 5 draws, 4 losses, 1.95 uh, points per game as per footy stats. And then you look at OA form, 22 games, 6 wins, so half the amount of wins, 8 draws, 8 losses, 1.18 points per game. Now, obviously, teams generally, on average, win more games at home that, that's fair enough but half the wins is, is pretty shocking isn't
0: it uh, I need to look at that for a comparison to the, the, the rest of the teams in the league but yeah it doesn't it, it, pointing out to me it doesn't seem like good reading.
2: Really. let me just go through the last five win win draw win win at home draw loss draw loss draw away from home if you pick up a couple more wins there, on the average over the season, you've got to think that that's how you get into into a playoff position. If you can't pick up points or wins away from home, then you're not gonna you're not gonna get into a playoff place, are you?
0: No, you're not. You have to eventually. It doesn't matter which team it is and how they set up. Certain certain away games worked out. There was a bit of luck there. them away, for example, those last bit of that goal when it looked like the most nil nil game ever envisaged. But no, that that hasn't happened enough, unfortunately add that to the many reasons why the side didn't get promoted. But hey, but well, we can't
2: know. we can't credit a deflected goal against Gillingham as one of the, the benefits of us winning away from home, can we? That's well, that's really clutching at straws, well, isn't it? As, well, as a flag, that's, a that's flagship luck, away day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean it was I enjoyed it.
2: I enjoyed it as a fan I'm just saying from a tactical basis against the Steve Evans side at the time who was struggling no, from a
0: tactical basis it means nothing but I just enjoyed that one it's the one that stuck out in my head so it's over the one that went against Fleetwood when we were struggling with no I don't think yeah I think Ogilvy had to play in centre midfield because we were struggling with we did I don't think we even had Joe Morrell at that point
2: Ogilvy uh, over Williams at centre midfield
0: will not go that far
2: <laughs> worth a try alright let's move on Fred unless you've got anything else to say about the Morecambe game do you? Uh, no, definitely not. Let's move on, mate. Let's talk about some activity from, or interaction anyway, from the owners or Eric Eisner talking to the fans on Twitter. You've got a couple of them to hand, hopefully, because I haven't. Give me a uh, nod.
0: I, I do indeed. Uh, yeah, because obviously the Isis are coming to meet Danny Cowley and they will be at the next few home games. Eric Eisner tweeted while he was trying to sort out his flights being cancelled last minute, so he obviously had some time with his hands. But we'll go through this. Uh, Eric Eisler tweeted uh, today, we just got through a pandemic. Not easy on anyone. Building the infrastructure and putting pieces into place. We had to be ready so we aren't a yo-yo club. Stadium infrastructure, new training ground, tons happening. Still believe that's how you build a sustainable, long-term, viable football club. And if I said my flight was cancelled without any warning, which it was, I'm, I'm sure that would go over well. Lol. I did run into, I did run to another airline en route. Try and sort out. Try and sort out the nice comments, or try or try to be uh, try to be sort of nice on comments. Why well, he didn't word that very well?
2: Try to be nice to him. I think in the comments.
0: Yes, and that's basically enough.
2: what he's saying. Yeah, give me a bit yeah. of slack. Yeah, Robbie. so because he, 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 he
0: was messing around with flights every two minutes. So I, I have not been there, but I've messed around on trains, Kansas, the last minute. So that's just as annoying.
2: Yeah, my flights have always been fine, to be honest, but that's irrelevant to the to the conversation right now. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Look, we all know the club needs some infrastructure, investment. That is good. Happy with that. But at the same time, I think fans need a bit more on the pitch at the same time from a balanced perspective. The one thing I'm picking up from this, Fred, is the discussion about us being a yo-yo club. Is it not possible to be building the infrastructure and banking the money from going up from the ch- and down from the championship? And is there a problem being a yo-yo club whilst you build infrastructure rather than lingering in the middle of your League One?
0: I think what they don't want is for the club to get promoted, for them to put all the excess money into wages and then just, just to be relegated again. And then because you've got relegated, the club has extra motivation to get promoted so you keep those wages in the playing squad rather than putting it anywhere else. I think that is where that argument is. I think they look at Rotherham and think why bother because of the promotion relegation a lot even though they have a good manager and good players and, and I think a lower budget than Portsmouth actually, uh, maybe off the top of my head. <sighs> there, are be- there are benefits to it though because the championship is getting richer because the Premier League clubs are getting relegated, the parachute payments in the Premier League are getting larger. I always thought, even if Pompey get promoted, have a half-reasonable stab at staying up, but not throw everything into the, playing staff, uh, into the playing squad and get relegated, that's a benefit to Pompey, long-term, which is what they're arguing. I think that is a benefit to Pompey, because they will get, over the long-term, more revenue by doing that. You'll have larger crowds going to Fratton Park because of all the teams with generally larger fan bases. And the TV deal in the championship is ridiculously larger. You've only got to look at the Football League fixtures on Sky Sports. I don't have Sky at the moment, but there are championship games on every week. I can see from a long-term point of view they don't want to just the club just to get relegated from the championship and League One over and over again. That's what they don't want. Because in their mind, they do not feel like it's building anything. They feel like they're at the same points, even if they're mid-table in League One, for example. They just think, "Oh, we're not building a lot. If we're just getting promoted out of the out of League One, only to be not to be good enough for the Championship and get relegated again." But the problem is, I do like the fact they're building infrastructure, and they've needed their own training ground for years, and they need more pitches for the academy status, which is long-term, which hopefully gets done. The problem is while they are doing that, the championship is just going to get better and you're going to get more new owners looking at, third, looking at third-tier clubs because they look at championships at clubs and go, why would we invest in them when they're spending ridiculous amounts of money? They're going to look at third-tier clubs with some history and go, okay, that's where the wages are. We can put in a lot of money, get promoted, and if we stabilise ourselves in the championship, then you move on and then you've got the luxury of making maybe having a stab at getting into Premier league that is where the issue is and i've said it a lot before i'm sure you agree i'm sure a lot of the fans do as well there is a balanced approach to this some people are on completely on the eyes as points of view where infrastructure sustainability and long-term thinking is everything and there should be no risk involved whatsoever and then there are the other people who who say I don't care about all these infrastructure things that are done. I want, I want a striker who's on ridiculous amounts of money, scoring twenty-five goals every season. You have to be in the middle. I know it's hard. I know it's probably the hardest thing the club can do, but they have to get it. They have to get that right. Otherwise, they will be in this league for a long time, and I think they'll lose fans because of it. Because yeah. look at look at Pompey's history. The amount of times they've gone down. The amount of promotions they've had. Very rarely they've been stagnant in a division for a long time. Very rarely. In recent memory, anyway. But the last time they were was what? Late 90s, early 2000s in the championship before Harry read that, I think? Mm. Or second division, no?
2: It's a difficult one because... Well, actually, it's not that difficult in my perspective. I think the idea of being able to build a team to make us not a yo-yo club is maybe not possible. You've got to build a team you think then are good enough to stay up in the championship when you go up. But that would require investment to get the right players as well to be able to go up in the first place. The championship is ridiculously competitive and the squads up there are very good. The players on average are a lot better than the players in League One. So unless you decide you're going to go up to the championship and then buy a whole new team or whatever, there's quite a high percentage chance you could get relegated again.
0: Well look at Peterborough Peterborough are Seven points off of Reading With three games left And They were up there In League One last season And they've got the worst goal difference In the Championship at 45 And they've got a lot of good players That Pompey wish they had In that team Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult I think they're
2: also I think they're also looking at Then teams like Luton Who haven't got big playing budgets But have managed to go up Stabilise themselves And are now pushing for the playoffs But that doesn't mean that every team can necessarily follow their model. So it is difficult, isn't it? We'll, we'll have to try and see. And I think your idea of being in the middle is, you know, is, is right. But the, maybe they just. Yeah, like, yeah. and it's not easy.
0: Things. I mean, and there are financial constraints. Pompey can only spend 60% of their turnover on wages. Uh, well, I don't know if Pompey are spending 60% of their turnover on the wages and if they ever would. I'm not sure. Uh, and if they are, they need to look at their transfer strategy and where they're spending that money, Where's, wh- where are they wasting it effectively, and how best they could use it. Maybe that'll happen with the change in transfer strategy in the summer, because you know where some of the money's gone. Some of the money's gone to Tyler Walker and Sean Williams and some players who haven't worked out, unfortunately. You're always going to get misses in the transfer window but you have to mention them
2: yeah and being being a a podcast in pros you are Freddie that's a good transition because we put a question out to you guys and thank you again for messaging in it's really appreciated makes the show especially when it's just me and Freddie without Andy we want some more interaction bring it in probably now mathematically confirmed as a league one club next season are you looking forward to the summer transfer window and what should we expect that's right I had a few beers to, to commiserate that on Monday, eh? Poppy in Camera messages in and says, I'm more looking forward to you guys doing a pod on possible transfer targets so we can see the talent we're likely to miss out on. Are you going to do the same again this year where you do a pod for each position, goalkeepers and defenders one week, midfielders the next, etc.? Yes, we will be doing that. Well, that's the plan. That's the plan. We, a plan. we, we plan it, thought yeah.
0: about doing it. In January, then things things got away from us. We managed to review those signings at least, which was good. But no, we always aim to, we'll both, me and Hugh, go away, have a look, see if there are players that we like. And then we usually try and get a football league expert on from somewhere to try and give us some insight if they're realistic or if they bring in their own ideas, which is always nice because it's nice to get a neutral perspective on these things. Um, but yeah, that's something that I have to do. Uh, it will probably take a few afternoons, but yeah, when I, when I give myself some time, I'll do that.
2: It'll probably take us a couple of weeks at least. I, I need to get out and talk to people I know who's actually possible to get, and that can take a little bit of time for people to understand. what You're
0: doing you're doing journalism legwork, your contacts. I'm looking at a spreadsheet. But that's why we combine together, Fred. That's the, that's the beauty of it. Uh, no, I know. Don't, I don't have sports contacts. I have news contacts instead, which don't really help in this situation.
2: But combined, mate, and then adding in someone who actually knows something to the podcast, a guest actually helps. But yeah, we will be doing it over the summer, as well as other sporadic episodes when we're doing stuff, you know, reacting to transfer news, um, get some interviews, and, and we'll try and do that. We won't be doing it every week. But we'll be rolling out stuff over the summer to keep your keep the content up. And I'm sure some of you will also want to be having a little break at some points over the summer from Pompey and then just sort of recharging and, and then ready to go again next season. And We'll see what the squad is like. Cowley's cows message it and it says, optimistic about the summer. Summer's very different for Cowley when it comes to a player, staff, knowledge and prep time. Also, don't need to manipulate wage or wait to start signing early preventing bidding wars on contracts expect free transfers skimming talent from clubs in league one and league two fred are we just going to be looking at free transfers skimming talent from the lower league clubs as well i think it will be a part of it i think be a part
0: of it but not all of it i mean i heard a birdie that the cowleys were at a Shoutenham game looking at callum Wright, very good player i believe he's under contract off the top of my head so that's an example of looking at a younger a younger player who's doing well in the third and fourth tier of English football and then looking to invest some money in him. That's something. I think you should always look at free agents simply because there will be value left there. There always is. Some of our players who have signed and entered contracts are really good. Example, Connor Ogilvy. And I would say Clark Robertson's had a good season barring his injury. And some of the other players have as well. It's a, it's a, it's a tool you use. You just don't over-rely on it if you want to build a promotion winning league one side which of want to be it will be a bit strange because I think at the moment Pompey only ha- will have 10 contracted senior players into the next season which is mad <laughs> so it seems like they're going to be in a similar position if they don't uh, re-up some contracts they might be in a similar position to last season which they don't want hopefully Danny doesn't bring in like 12 trialists in one day and have two squads playing each other in training I hope that doesn't happen yeah, I think I do like as as much as people have um, la- uh, some some people have lambasted the the looking at younger players, route. I think it's a good. I think it's just good that they are to, the club are talking about this publicly and there's a plan, there's an ethos, there's an idea, which is nice. Rather than just trying to scattergun approach and, and trying to get every single every best player they can, and then going, oh God, he's gone somewhere else on more money great who do we have left Um, so it's nice that they've got that there just from the club being open I mean wouldn't you complain if um, uh, the owners didn't say what their transfer strategy was and just kept it light I I probably would so yeah yeah, I I think I'll wait and see I think
2: I'm definitely in the same boat as you I know some people are like super critical of what's going on for a transfer strategy some people are, you know, very sort of positive about what's going on. And when you look on Twitter, there's always a bit of a, a sort of a combat between the sort of pro-ownership, anti, the, you know, the sort of... And you get, that from, you get that from
0: talking to people in the stands as well. You do, you do of course, course you media. do.
2: I know, I think it's just emphasised potentially on social media from looking at it. But yeah, you know, you are right. It is definitely in the stands as well. I'm sort of floating in the middle because for me, again, this is a massive transfer window and it's going to be you know, put up from a sense of will they be able to go out and get the players that that Danny Cowley wants? And are they the right players? How's the strategy work out? So I'm going to try and go into this summer with a very open mind of what's possible. There is a lot of flexibility in in the squad from a financial basis. They can decide who they re-sign, how much money they want to do that for, who's important, what they're worth. And then from there, we can really see how this, strategy which they say is quite a clear strategy so I'm assuming they're going out as we said you know looking at other players already trying to work out who they want speaking to people so I I think I'll keep an open mind as it is now and just try and see how it pans out and when we do look at our sort of transfer window who Pompey should sign we're gonna have to sort of really broaden the search aren't we to sort of take into consideration different scenarios
0: yeah how to keep into account what they one, we can't just ignore that and go. Oh, here's a great player. He's thirty-five. They mind, I want to sign a thirty-five-year-old, no matter how good he is. Well,
2: when we're talking about those sort of players, John English knows that I'm shite at pronouncing Dutch names, but he says we need Dezers from or Dezers from Feyenoord.
0: I've never seen him play. <laughs> I've heard of him, but I've never seen him play. Well, so he's I bloody world star, in. isn't and he? I haven't, I haven't looked at
2: or he's having a bit of a laugh. He just knows that. So he says we'll take, deserves will take us to the championship and beyond. So Eisner's get your checkbook out. On a more serious note, as said before, third transfer window, it's time for Cowleys to step up or move on. It's a combo of good recruitment and owners willing to pay. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure about the sort of put up or get out, but at the same time, I am in agreement with John here. (laughs) who I like the banter on earlier on in the, in the uh, on the tweet, we do need good combo, uh, good recruitment. And the owners do need to back Danny and Nikki Cowley in that recruitment strategy. And it would be quite obvious if we just sort of end up patching together a team again, it, it's going to be quite obvious that we miss out on signings that, you know, Pompey are supposed to be in for, and then someone else from, another league one club comes in time and time after again, because this does happen on odd occasions. You're not always going to get the players that you want. There are other teams who also want them and players will have their own reasons for going for whichever club they go to, whether they're from up North and want to stay up North or, or whatever. But at the same time, if it happens as a trend, that's when you've really got to be worried that they're not putting in the money or the recruitment strategy isn't working.
0: Hmm. Oh, precisely. Yeah, we saw it. Um, at times this season when players have gone to other League One clubs and you thought, oh, ports were for them, weren't they? There's that. Um, I think another thing which will worry people is if all the transfers are done last minute because it will show that they've either missed on a lot of targets or maybe they're maybe the management teams and transfer team particularly being too picky or they're getting outbid, like you said. I think that'll, that'll be another thing which will scare people an awful lot or I also think if they if they sign a lot of the players at once right at the beginning, they might think, okay, but what about all these players that are still around, especially if they're high talents, especially if they're at the end of contract? That's going to be something else that comes up as well. There'll be a lot of comparison work done with other squads and a lot of guessing about which what their wages will be. Obviously, you won't know until next April when the when the Figures come out, and that'll be for last season, and then there'll be the the arguing again about if there's enough player investment. And yeah, it's, it, it, those arguments are not going to go away. I think a saying which will be at this club for a while is "perception is reality." People are going to perceive this club either be, or the others being cheap or not, and it's going to take an awful lot to change their minds. And I think the main thing that will change their minds is success on the pitch, ultimately.
2: Yeah, and potentially a flagship signing or two might help appease people who, who think we're not going to spend any money. And it will help appease me as well, really, from a level of a little bit of confidence in what's going on, just from a, a general fan base. If, if they can go out and get a couple of their targets and then we can see the sort of squad depth being built. Because at the moment, the squad just isn't isn't deep enough to compete with those top teams. I mean, when you're playing Turner Cliff and Williams in the centre, as we said, they're just not good enough. And there wasn't enough backup for when they were injured. So we do need a situation where not just a couple of big signings come in, but good signings from a backup sort of level come in as well. And the squad is sort of filled out. Mm. We're not, we're not doing a, Oh, you know, it's great to be running on a really small squad. Well, it's not really, is it? It's good to have those players, young players in who can come in and, and do a job. But at the moment, it's not really, it's not really working like that, is it? Mm-hmm. It's just, I was a,
0: There was another part of that tweet that was interesting. Um, the last bit Cowley putting up or shutting up effectively, or I'm paraphrasing that. I've heard that from a lot of people. I've heard that a lot of people's opinions on Danny Cowley will be from this summer transfer window coming up and up until Christmas. And if performances aren't there, then some people are saying we should get a new manager in. What's your opinion on that, considering that? Jacket had three and a half seasons. It seems like Cowley's... Had, Cowley would have effectively had two, nearly, two, well, nearly two seasons at that point since he had that small, what, like eight, ten game stretch in his first stint with Pompey and now this full season. What's your opinion I, on this summer transfer window defining his managerial tenure or not?
2: For me, it's, it's more based on how I think they're backed in the summer rather than on the management from a tactical basis or, you know, I think there'll always be pressure on managers at Portsmouth. They're not doing well, but I think he's only been here a year or so. Um, I think we, we have got to give him another year and see how it goes. Like I, I'm not going to be impatient. I don't think in December last word, someone's going to now sound by this and slap it to me in November. But at the moment I'm not, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about how much investment the team gets in order to build a squad, because we've got rid of a lot of those contracts. Now I think there will be pressure on them to, to do well. I think that that's comes with it. But for me, it's more about how they're given the money to invest in the squad and build a squad first before I start judging them. Cause I actually enjoyed their football much more than watching Kenny jacket. I, I think as a fan watching their, their system play, I think it's been better to watch However, the results haven't really shown that yet. So I'm hoping over time in the next season, and which is very much what our, you know, we spoke to people about them from Lincoln, the guys up there and from the Stacey West and said, be patient and it will come to fruition. So I'm hoping next season goes well. And then we can put this sort of uh, discontent to bed, maybe, and, and sort of yeah. get behind them.
0: Potentially, potentially. I, I prefer the style of football as well. obviously, some people mentioned some of the blowout performances and some of the games where Pompey didn't have a sniff going forward. Well, I saw enough of those under jacket and it's similar. Yeah, I'm willing to give it at least another season, depending on how it goes. I'm not one of those people. And I always go for, if you want to sack the manager, who are you getting instead? And I can't think of an obvious candidate already. So
2: Steve Evans is about Freddie. Oh. Cheers, <laughs> have jokes joke. becoming. away. Go away. Go <laughs> Matt from Jules and the Blood later on about that. So yeah, that was cool chat. Okay, Tim Footmesh in his head on positive. The Cowleys have the full budget to play with and whilst not the biggest, I'm generally happy with their eye for talent. I don't expect the Eisen's to suddenly deviate from their long-term plan because some fans are disillusioned. In a way, it's good that they don't. I'm going to pick up the first bit here, Fred. Are you generally happy with their eye for talent? Do you think that the Cowleys have hit more times than they've missed, for example, than under Kenny Jacket? Uh, I think
0: looking at, their, looking at their summer, they've hit more times than they've missed. Well, look at the players they've missed. Two young loan signings in the Z's and the which were backup players anyway. I'd say Williams is a miss considering that I thought he would be a deep-line playmaker that would control play, and he hasn't done that as much. Some players are in the middle of a missing a hit. I'd say Tunnicliffe is that, personally, where he's been okay, but he hasn't set the world on fire as much as I would have liked. But then some players have hit really well. Morel, Carter, Buzunu, Ogilvy. I'd say Robertson has as well. I'd say Romeo did in the early of the season. I do trust their eye for talent more than Jacket's eye for talent, definitely. Because it fits their style of play really well. And yeah, I, I'm, I am willing to give them another summer when hopefully they're backed enough to uh, uh, show their talents to the fans in the stadium.
2: I don't expect the eyes to suddenly deviate from the long-term plan because some fans are disillusioned.
0: No, they don't give a monkey's about fans being disillusioned. They, they would have deviated a long time ago. They would have sat K Jacket sooner if they did. I think they, they have a, they, they have their vision for the club and it's gonna be it. It's gonna be that or nothing. So
2: can we steal a phrase from the the sit the Sixers from basketball in Philadelphia, which is trust the process?
0: Oh I, I think I've probably used that. I probably have used that. Um I don't even like basketball, so I was surprised they even knew about that.
2: Well, it's based on... Amer-
0: American philosophy. Based, that's right,
2: Fred. They, they based their, A lot of their stuff is based on analytics and bottoming out. Now, that doesn't actually work in football, so I'm not saying we should trust the process, inverted commas. I would trust the process if we also build a team on the pitch who are competitive. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not asking for us to be the top two, three spending teams in, the, in League One, but I am asking for us to build a team which is competitive probably, enough to mm-hmm. compete you know, week in, week out and actually be competitive enough that, you know, we are not sat here again and for the last month or two, whatever it's been, thinking season's over. You know, that's not competitive enough for me. So I've got to say, i got to say that I know some fans on Twitter as well um, or some fans generally slated Ryan Stilwell for saying that we shouldn't be in there uh, that he wanted us to be in the in the mix of the playoffs at the end of the season. Got to say, I do agree with Ryan. I don't think there's an issue there. I think that we need to be pushing to be at least next season. We need to be there. We, we can't be sitting around in eighth or ninth, tenth, eleventh next season in the same situation, Freddie. Because no. me and you are going to go bonkers <laughs> doing this. No, no, I will that's lose the case. my
0: mind if, but it in that some of the stints again, and they go. Oh, wait until next season. Uh, no, we've waited enough. It'll be record sixth se- six season and then seventh season after that. Um, yeah, the goal for Pompey is always promotion out of this league every single yeah. season. Doesn't matter how much money they're putting in, what stage of the club's long-term philosophy is. It's always promotion and it always will be. Even if you compare Pompey's infrastructure to some of the other clubs in the championship and Pompey are miles behind, it doesn't matter history and club prestige states that Portsmouth are a second-tier side. Fact, done, the end. And that will change. So yep. with that in mind, the goal should always be promotion. If they are ninth or tenth next season, lots of people will be unhappy and I probably will be as well. Um, at least this season, obviously with the massive turnover. Um, at points, they were competitive in the competitive region playoffs. At certain points they definitely weren't. Um, and they've now averaged out to well, they might finish eighth, ninth, or ten, which many people thought they'd finish beforehand anyway. They can't have the transitional season again, though. That's not a thing.
2: No, it's dead. And
0: anybody who says uh, isn't a Pompey fan, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> they're usually um they're usually football league experts who go, Oh, Pompey shouldn't expect promotion every season. Well, you don't understand Pompey like we do, do you?
2: We need to get out of this division. Come on, Mark Davis meshes in. He's not happy with what Tim said he says you're you're happy with inconsistent crap that's been served up this season by a team that is all Cowleys. Good for you. the Yanks can kiss my money goodbye. I think well,
0: if you have a season ticket, you give it to me next season, depending on where it is.
2: <laughs> yeah, good season ticket what what's what's that South stand upper you fred uh, oh
0: absolutely no south stand lower right, right right at row a yeah yeah uh no back of the then standing up
2: please. i'd like that so you could be just constantly pelted by the ball <laughs> for a throw in I what, really- so you could
0: collate collate the clips and put them on twitter
2: <laughs> i'd see if we could get a camera down there at least so we could uh so i could watch that for my own amusement i'm sure andy would be on board with this idea as well I'm just going to save Mark. Fair enough if you checked out. I'm not ready to until the summer. Let's see what happens. Let's see what the squad's built. No,
0: I think it'll take a lot more from me to be checked out, to be honest.
2: Yeah. Fair enough. Each their own though, Mark. Um, JC meshes in and says, Think this will be a big window. Not many players to get rid of, thanks to some big January departures reckon Eisners will want to win back some fans and might want to put some of the pressure they face back onto the Cowleys by giving them a larger budget to work with. Fred, if there is a larger budget given to the Cowleys and we see the investment we want in the team, there is going to be more pressure on them, isn't there? Yeah, it's going to be a lot of
0: pressure. It's going to be extra pressure on them, isn't it? It was one of their, kind of like a safety blanket. A lot of people thought, oh, I agree with the tactical philosophy that Danny Cowley's doing and the transfer strategy. But he's not being supported enough financially. If he's proven to be in the summer and it still doesn't work, then people are going to run out of reasons to um to back his ideas. So yeah, that's going to be massive. And again, we'll have to see how the squad shapes up and how it's looking going into next season. I and think then what people f- will make up their own
2: minds. I think what Fred's trying to say is he's paraphrasing that's football from Kenny Jacket, right? That is exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> Alfie John meshes in and says, I personally say give Sean Williams a new deal. Make Tyler Walker permanent and recall Paul Downing and give him a new deal. Alfie, I could not agree more with more of you, mate. <laughs> what that podcast over. Freddie Slow clapping. He, he agrees. What was that gold clap? Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like light in the moon, Alfie. Like it. Justin K meshes in and says, How could you not be excited if you're a fan? You never know what could happen. I'd be less than excited if the summer transfer window goes badly, though. Yeah, obviously, you can't not be excited to see what happens next. It's always that excitement, at least in the stand when you turn up and you've got that that hope that something could happen on a match day and you've got that excitement. It's got to be the same for the transfer window, isn't it? You, you, I mean, we're excited also because we're a bunch of nerds. You want to try and predict what happens and look into it. And we know a lot of you as well are exactly the same. You're going to be looking at what could happen, who should we be signing. If you don't get excited about that, probably should go and watch something else or do something else with your time. Got to agree. John Lish meshes in and says, what I want to see, more permanent signings earlier in the window. I think that would help, as me and Freddie said, win some people back or maybe on the fence. Willingness to pay for younger players. Again, that's going to be a bit difficult. We'll touch on that in a second. Any loans must improve the first team, Bazunu, Carter, etc., rather than fill out the squad. Less loans used. Any loans must improve the first team. It is good to get players in of that class that you can't usually get, Fred, as we've already mentioned. So that's true. But I'd like to see the core players signing for the team, not on loan, but permanently so we can develop them further and and reap the benefits from that, surely.
0: Absolutely. There are many reasons for that. You build partnerships on the pitch and you get assets for the football club. It's just, it's how you build a successful team. I do like some. of the, I did like some of the loan signings this season: Hurst, Romeo, Carter. They've worked out, and if you bring in one or two that supplement a good team, that's brilliant. That's exactly what the loan market's for. You just don't fill your team with them because you have no long-term planning at that point.
2: Yeah, I think you're pretty good there, John. Jamie Parkinson messages in and says everything you said, John. There you go. If that's not a seal of approval. I don't know what is. A
0: ringing, a ringing endorsement.
2: That doors for That's a lot better put than me, mate. <laughs> Thanks everyone for messaging in. I think that we've sort of gone over that pretty well, Fred. So let's move on to the next part of the podcast. We spoke to Matt, returning guest friend of the show from Jill's in the Blood to preview the game on Saturday against Gillingham. We spoke about the changeover in manager from Steve Evans to Neil Harris. We spoke about the sort of the lack of goals and you know what's going on at Gillingham but here's everything you need to know about Saturday's game at home to Gillingham. All right I'm here with Matt returning from Jewels and the Bloods and Matt thanks for coming on the show.
1: Appreciate it mate really uh, appreciate the uh, the invite again yeah and looking forward to talking about um, Saturday well looking forward to probably the wrong word for me at the moment considering our position compared to yours I'd rather be sitting here. Right in the middle of the table, the anonymity of a of, uh, ninth, 10th or 11th place finish would, would suit me down to the ground right now, but such is life.
2: Yeah, it's message to some Pompey fans there, isn't it, to be not too, too glum about being right in the middle of the table there. But yeah, no, it's been interesting for during the season. Obviously, you had Steve Evans in charge and he had a very sort of, you know, particular way of managing and a sort of style. When he went, I think a lot of fans around the league were a bit worried about what kind of manager you were going to get but you bring in Neil Harris he's obviously in you know, a class manager in a sense you know good name and the kind of person you think would potentially be able to keep you guys up how's Neil done turning you guys around and do you think he's the man to keep you up
1: he's been brilliant if you want a one-word description it's brilliant phenomenal so if someone had said to me, transfer deadline day when New Harris got announced, if they'd said that we've got to go to Portsmouth and we've got to play Rotherham at home with two games to go and we're sat outside the relegation zone, albeit playing a game more than Fleetwood and they're probably favourites now to stay up over us, I'll just snatch your hand off because we were gone. We were so far gone, it was ridiculous. We were an absolute car crash. I said throughout Steve Evans' two years in charge that I'd never thought we'd be in any sort of danger in terms of relegation with him in the job. Um, injuries, COVID played a part. Um but which club have they not played a part? That, that can't be used as an excuse. And I've said this a million times, that come the end of the season, there's not a little star next to our name that says, bless them, they had loads of people who hurt their legs. It's, you get relegated because you don't pick up enough points and the table doesn't lie. And I know it's a cliche. Um, I think what I've realised since Steve Evans left, um, and if you're linking it to sort of higher levels of the game, there's almost that impression, certainly from my point of view now, that the difference between Neil and the different with Steve is that Perhaps Steve Evans' cycle is up in terms of being a very good manager at this level. He's had success. Not a lot of people that haven't had him manage their club like him. I can understand why. I didn't like him prior to him joining the Jills. But generally, over the last 10, 12 years, his methods have got results. It's got Rotherham promoted back-to-back from League 2 to the Championship, got Crawley into the Football League. Um, Made us a better football club. We'd gone from being a bottom third relegation battling team to looking at the playoffs for two seasons. I know one season was cut short by COVID when we was on a good run. Um, we finished 10th points per game. And then last season, we was, we was in the playoffs at Easter, albeit playing a couple of extra games. So Steve Evans, for me, done a really good job for Gillingham Football Club. But what I've noticed now with Neil Harris is that the methods are a little bit more modern. Um, he's slightly younger. Um, this four four two kick and rush football probably is coming to the end of its sell by date, similarly to like someone like Jose Mourinho at the top end of the game who for you know six, seven, eight, nine, ten years at Chelsea, Real Madrid into Milan was probably one of the top two managers in the world. Um, but everything has a cycle, like I say, and now he's fifth, sixth in Syria, not competing with the big teams. Um, that's the general feeling I get about Steve Evans now. That I've seen Neil Harris's work for the best part of two and a half months. Whether he keeps us up remains to be seen over the final 180 minutes of the season. Um, but what he has done is given us belief that that wherever we are next season, whether that's League One or League Two, he'll build a competitive football club in either division.
2: I think Pompey fans can relate to that because we had when we had Kenny Jackett at the club. Mm. little things like when Danny Cowley came in, he he installed a tower so he could record the training sessions and play them back. And little things like that that weren't being done before, you know, the sort of the sports science, a bit more football analytics and stuff like that. I think Neil Harris is a pretty similar age, I think, actually. Is he 44, is he? Something like that? I
1: think he's mid-40s, yeah.
2: And you can talk about the sort of results. And although you've only got one win in six, you've also only lost one in six. Took points off Wednesday, uh, Cheltenham again that's a good result Wickham as well you beat Accrington the only loss I can see in the last six against Sunderland and I think that was a last minute Nathan Broadhead goal wasn't it off the top of my head the 94th yeah. minute 90, so
1: kind of... 95 and a half minutes yeah that was yeah so we was literally 20 seconds from from a clean sheet at the stadium and then it would have been six unbeaten but yeah I, I think I've just said to, to Tom on, on my preview video unfortunately it's weird that three games unbeaten I think is the longest run Neil Harris has put together as our manager which doesn't sound great but coming on into a club that had conceded 7 24 hours, 48 hours before he arrived is it, decent enough but it's also our longest winless run under Neil Harris, three games and we need to be winning football matches at this stage of the season Easter just felt like a bit of a, a missed opportunity, we led twice at Cheltenham couldn't see it over the line, we the a post in the last minute, Fleetwood, big crowd ticket deal sunshine, shining, you think brilliant I think us as fans as well as the players suddenly realised that for the first time in ages we were favourites and there was probably a bit of pressure on us which we would not had throughout Neil Harris's time because we were so far adrift when he took over. Now all of a sudden the hunter was becoming the hunted almost and I think we just froze a little bit. I think the players froze a little bit. We was the only team trying to win the game, don't get me wrong. Fleetwood offered us absolutely nothing. We could have maybe been braver, sacrificed the centre-half a bit earlier before the red card and try and gone and win the football match. But they always say, if, you, if you're not going to win football matches, make sure you don't lose them. My only concern now is that, that Fleet would need just a point from Saturday against Wimbledon or their game in hand, albeit against Sheffield Wednesday next Tuesday, to go above us because their goal difference is a lot better. So I'd say we're probably underdogs to stay up now.
0: Obviously, a lot of Pompey fans will be thinking about one certain player who's playing for Jill. so I'm going to get that question out the way
1: now. Why is Ben Thompson going to score a hat-trick against Pompey on Saturday? I don't care, as long as he does. <laughs> um, he's been very good for us, and I know there was a lot of Portsmouth fans sort of, you know, varying degrees of anger and humour and banter replying to the Jill social media feeds when it was announced that he was joining us, and... I even had Millwall fans tweeting me or messaging me saying, Ben Thompson can keep you up. He's that good and he shouldn't be playing in League One. He took a few games to get going, but that was probably because of the fact that he'd not played a first-team game since September. So, obviously, under-23s football, nowhere near coming into a side that's, you know, battling for its life. Made his debut at Ipswich was decent, but you could tell he needed to get minutes. He's got better and better the more he's played. He's a very, very good footballer in terms of work with the ball and also work without it. He's not afraid to put in a shift, he's not afraid to run towards his own goal. He's got real ability with it. And one thing that I've noticed is that, considering his size and his stature, incredibly difficult to get off the ball when in possession. And also wins his fair share of headers for a bloke who's probably only five foot five, five foot six. He's half decent in the air as well. My only concern is that. If we do drop into League 2, we won't see the best of Ben Thompson because I'm not sure he'd be willing to drop into the basement division because we've only got him under contract until the end of the season, which would be a real shame um, because he came in to replace Carl Dempsey, who was another very good player for us, who we barely got to see at his best in front of a crowd because obviously his best season for us was was last, last time around and, and that was the COVID season when we all had to watch on our laptops. But he's given us a chance like Neil has um, and that's all we could ask for when, when he arrived because... I was convinced we were relegated. Like I say, we'd conceded at seven at home to Oxford on the Saturday. Could have been more. Four penalties conceded in the same game. I mean, if you're looking for examples of the, how not to defend as a professional footballer or as a professional football team, just watch that 90 minutes because it was absolute car crash from start to finish. To then find a way to get us to keep six clean sheets or seven clean sheets in 14, 15 games since then, is remarkable in, in the, the short space that he's been in um, and working with other, another man's tools as well.
2: Yeah, no, Ben Thompson's good. He's that engine player that you need. And as you say, Neil Harris sort of plays quite a, you know, he's got you playing compact, doesn't he? Stopped you playing leaking. But the thing I've mm-hmm. looked at as much is you're not scoring a lot of goals. Obviously, Freddie knows with Dane Oliver. He slated him and had it back in his face now. After well, him. just
0: because I didn't rate him, six years ago when I saw him for York City when he was in the conference.
2: He a he's a stubborn northerner. He's a stubborn northerner. He's not, he's not, <laughs> he's not, he's not, he's not changed his tune and each season he's done well. We've called him out on it, but uh, he's now embarrassingly holding his head a little bit because obviously that he does well for you up front. He leads all your metrics and stuff. But one question I have another player for you is Danny Lloyd. Is he injured or is he just not working in the system? Cause he's, you know, he's second shots on target second shots per game second with goals, five, although two of them are pens, uh, and, and leads per game with one key pass per game whilst playing for you. Is he Is he not fit
1: or is he just... No, he's outside. out for the rest of the season. He ruptured his ACL at Portland Road in, that makes sense in the second then. game, unfortunately. So thanks for reminding me of how good we are and how, how good he is and how much we're missing him. Cheers. That's
2: right. that's what I'm <laughs> here for, <but> Matt. <I'm>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he, he was really good. He was he, he was in and out the side start of the season under Steve Evans and he got a run in the team. Uh, and yeah, he was just playing himself into some really good form and unfortunately victim of a bad tackle that went unpunished uh, at Portman Road. And yeah, that was his season done. I think he's due back September if, if he's under contract or if we offer him a new contract. But obviously that's touch and go when you've got a player that's, that's coming back from such a serious injury problem. So yeah, was, was was really, really good for us up until then. I think it's five goals, three assists this season. A big miss because we've had no width. We've had no drive in forward areas for for long periods of the season, certainly since Neil Harris has come in. Mustafa Cario, another one, who's, I think he played 45 minutes against Crewe, Harris's first game. We've not seen him since. We might have seen him for the old cameo, but he's made a glass, unfortunately, so absolutely pointless. Ben Reeves, technically very good. scored uh, a really good goal at Cheltenham last Friday. Then couldn't start Monday because he's another one that's not played enough football. Picked up niggly problems all throughout the season. We just lack width in forward areas. You know, we we lost Jordan Graham, didn't we, in the summer, who was probably the best winger in League One last season. Yeah, we lost you got, as you got well. Tar-
2: You've got a target man striker as well, who's good in the air. You need to get him good service. Is that, has that been an issue then getting the ball together? Yes, yeah, and that? we're
1: relying on the wing backs to then get up and down now. But the trouble is we've had our natural left wing back David Deton has been in and out outside with injuries, and we've had to play Robbie McKenzie, who's naturally right footed. So obviously he then comes back in onto his right foot. So then it all slows down and then the angle of the ball's the same all the time. Whereas last season we had Alex McDonald, we had Jordan Graham, they could switch sides so you could go both ways. You could get to the byline and whip it in at pace or you could stand it up far post or you could come back inside and then float that diagonal ball far post. So you you was given defenders and keepers different problems where it's all a bit predictable, unfortunately, this season because of injuries. Like I say, all our creative players have have been missing for probably, well, basically all of of Neil Harris's reign. So he's having to work with what he's got. He's made the best of a bad situation and, and he's got us competitive and he's got us in a position where we could stay up, which is staggering in its own sense. But I was so convinced that we were gone. But now we're at that point where I'm hopeful again that we can stay up, that it'll just hurt all over again if we do get relocated. But we got two games. I'll be there Saturday, um, cheering us on, hoping and praying that we at least match Fleetwood. If we can match Fleetwood's results Saturday, then we'll give ourselves a chance um, because they've got two tough ones to finish with Sheffield Wednesday and Bolton we've got the small matter of Rotherham on the final day. They're only going for the championship or top two. So that'll be a piece of piss. <laughs>
2: You've got to get points of us then, Matt, haven't you?
1: They're that's with that's he's what he's done firmly to. in his cheek. Yeah, yeah. And we've got yeah. a decent record at Fratton Park in recent years. So it's, it's it's not a forlorn hope. I'm not turning up thinking that we're going to get battered. You might rest a few. You might play a few kids. A few might not fancy it so much because it's the end of the season. I think you can only finish sort of in three or four different positions based on where you are now. You're not going to go higher than 8th really or 7th. You're not going to finish below 11th. I
2: think 8th is the mathematically possible. So it's
1: not like there's a lot riding on it. But the trouble is you've taken 14 points from the last 18 at home. And apparently Tom reliably informed me that it's um, Danny Cowley's best run at Fratton Park since he's been in charge. So we shall see.
2: But again, I think a lot of Pompey fans would like us to to rest players and and try and play some of the young players in the team. I don't yeah, know if
1: play can... all the kids is absolutely fine. All the fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old, yeah, got yeah. no problem with that at all.
2: Let's call the guys back from Bogner who just they've played the yeah, darkly yeah, that, now. Be good. Yeah, they They're probably cool. have
1: a start. I've seen a lot of football down there. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> there was there was one defender who I wanted to ask about though
0: because you mentioned how defensively assured shored up under Neil Harris. I always rated. Jack Tucker in certain Mm -hmm. times has he improved a lot with those performances under Neil Harris or is he steady
1: across the board he's he's been back to somewhere near his best under Neil Harris again he's playing in a team that's been defensively rubbish for most of the season so he's clearly not been at his best over the campaign but he's getting there playing on the side of a back three which is different for him Steve Evans rarely played but I think he played it once Steve Evans at Oxford in his first season we were 3-0 down inside 25 minutes so that quickly got sort of swept under the carpet but I think, ironically, it's probably helped Maxima more. Uh, Maxima generally better in a flat-back four. We We've played him in a three before before Steve Evans came on board, but we played him on the outside of a three, and he kept getting done for pace, where we put him in the middle. He's been decent in there, and then obviously his experience has helped Jack Tucker out, and it's also helped out Connor Masterson, who's been really good um, since arriving from QPR on loan. He was at Cambridge, I think, first half of the season. He's been a real find in the sense that he's good defensively, but he also brings it out from the back almost step out so that we've got an extra midfielder and then we can be a bit braver with the ball um, which we have to try and find ways to do because of such a lack of creative players at the top end of the pitch but yeah Jack Tucker's back to somewhere near his best I wouldn't say he's at the levels of the last two seasons not by any stretch of the imagination but again that, that's obvious in the fact that we're currently 20 if, whereas in the last two seasons we finished in the top 10
2: well, let's hope for you, your sake then, Matt, that you get a bit of this luck that Pompey have, you know, played Gillingham a few times and it's been like we're favourites to win the game and we've come out and just don't really turn up. Or you could say that you bring your game, whichever way around you want to say it. But let's get to the little juicy bit, Matt. Let's get to the prediction time. What do you think then for the, the score uh, on Saturday and who do you think is going to score if there's any goal scorers? It's,
1: it's tricky from my point of view because... Like we said, you you boys have got nothing on it. So you can just think about right, we can go and try and win the game, we can play without pressure. Whereas unfortunately, whether we want to or not, we're going to be looking at what's going on at Fleetwood versus Wimbledon. We're going to be looking at what's going on in the Morecambe game. And obviously if there's goals in early game goals early for Morecambe or Fleetwood in their games, we might have to change our approach because we don't want to be in a position where we have to win on the final day and rely on Fleetwood getting beat. We want to be in a, you know. A decent position before that that final game kicks off. So it's, I think it's game situation dependent more than ever. But if you you know pushing me for an answer, I've, I've written it down because I did notes from my preview and I've put one all and I've put Ben Reeves to score our goal.
2: I I, I got a feeling one one might be the result as well, Matt. I've got a feeling much to the, much to the distaste of some of the Pompey fans listening. But I just I, I do think it's going to be a difficult game, and if you look at I know it was away from home. and Pompey do play very differently away from home at the moment to at home. We, you know, we lost to Cheltenham. We really deserve to lose against Morecambe on Monday. It's not often that I agree with Derek Adams, but on this one, I actually do agree with him that, that they should have got the win, really. So, yeah, I think it's just going to be a case of you really want it and come at us, you know, anything can happen, I suppose, really in this game because you've got a lot more riding on it than we do. And it depends, are the players going to be that fired up for it? You'd hope so. You know, from a from a fan, from a from our perspective. But at the same time, we'll have to wait and see. Matt, it's awesome having you on the podcast again. Cheers for coming on. Appreciate it. Can you tell people Pleasure. where they can find you?
1: Uh, yeah, we're on we're on uh, Twitter at Jewels in the Blood. We're on Instagram by the same name, um, and YouTube, obviously YouTube channel. If you if you want to go and check us out, that'd be great. Drop a sub, that'd be brilliant as well trying to get to 2,000 subscribers, hoping and praying that that we don't drop into League Two because I'm going to have to spend a whole summer doing some research because we've been in this division for a decade now. So I kind of know what I'm talking about in terms of the clubs and the players in and around League One, but it'll be a whole new experience for me. So yeah, there's two reasons why I'm praying that we don't get relegated. But yeah, if you can go and check us out, that'd be great fun.
2: Well, do you have to make all, all new contacts as well? Find out content creators for all different clubs. I feel your pain there, Matt. That's a, I've, I've, I've thought about that if we get promoted, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be happening at the moment. So, yeah, I have you're safe
1: it. as ours is for another season. Me, I'm <laughs> stressing out. It's not even going the right way, is it? You don't mind doing it if you're going into the Championship, but dropping into League Two. And yeah, like I say, it be a completely new experience for me. I'll be leaning on some uh, EFL experts like Gabe Sutton and the such probably for some help um, for the season preview. But yeah a restful summer it will be not if we do get relegated unfortunately
2: <laughs> exactly well we will share your video mate for the preview and um afterwards as well uh probably check it out matt's stuff is is always epic and um i know all the all the different fans we know and other content creators really rate it as well as us so um we'll give it a share good luck for the rest of the season mate uh let's Thank hope you they go down because i think they're Tim pot you know
1: who plays yeah I agree with that. who plays Captain
2: Pugwash gold music eh (laughs) uh, yeah
1: that's
0: that's the worst of it
2: that's the single reason I wanted to go Uh, also also going
0: going to that stadium even up north was a trek so I don't want to do it I don't want to do it ever again
2: exactly petrol's expensive at the moment and Gilliam's closer right exactly
1: (laughs) Exactly. there you go what a reason to save us
2: (laughs) that's it Danny Cowley All right, mate cheers thanks a lot Matt
1: no worries mate thank you take care
2: Thanks, Matt, for coming on the podcast. It's been difficult for them this season, hasn't it, Freddie? I think Neil Harris has done a pretty good job. He's come in, he's steadied the ship, but still not a lot of goals. But a lot of points taken off good sides recently. And Pompey might not be in for a, an easy game against Jills and Sat.
0: No, I think it's the worst position Pompey could be in against a side like Gillingham, where they now have nothing to play for, apart from playing in front of the fans and for their own like player bonuses and pride or whatever. Jules are fighting against relegation and I don't I don't like that matchup at all where those players are effectively going to be fighting for their, for their lives. So that innate advantage makes me think that the Jules will get a result which is sad I and mean, we don't know what side Pompey will put out. They might rotate it a tiny bit they might play some of the younger players I don't know they might not. But the onus is on Gillingham to get a result and uh, that doesn't bode well for Pompey, in my opinion.
2: You know the Dane Oliver's going to get one, Fred. Your arch-nemesis from
0: your... Well, oh, I, and so is Ben Thompson, because he's ex-Pompey. We we know this already.
2: So you think there's going to be more than one goal for Gillingham in the game? Has you given away a part of your preview? Sorry, part of your match?
0: Well, oh, I have, yes, but we'll we'll see what happens.
2: Pompey are pretty solid, usually defensively although it's been a little bit more lax, isn't it, in recent weeks, but the goals have come, so I'll take that, at home anyway. Let's just get down to, we did a lot of covering on the game, when we spoke to Matt, so Freddie Webb, I'd like to know, your score prediction, please, for the game on Saturday, and who's going to score, apart from the Dane Oliver, and Ben Thompson? Uh,
0: I think the Jaws get get a the result, given the circumstances, I'm going to go with a 2 all draw, Thompson and... Dane Oliver obviously scoring for Chills and for Pompey. I'm going to go with Ronan Curtis and Marcus Harness.
2: I'm going to go with Matt, but a 1 1 draw for Dane Oliver and Hayden Carter to get a 1 1 draw. A uh, um, long range and- screamer or header? Uh, bicycle kick, <laughs> banana kick, <laughs> scissor kick. Score off his knee up from a corner. Why not? Someone actually puts a good delivery into the box and then we score from a corner. Most unlikely way. Gillingham raising their fists in the air in anger because we never score from corners statistically. And it would happen to happen to happen against them. But I don't know. I think Gillingham could could do well in this game because they are fighting for their lives but Pompey's home form their lack of goals makes you think they it could go either way really so I want to go for a 1-1 draw Freddie it's been awesome having you on the podcast
0: always a pleasure always nice always nice to do this uh, brightens up my week every time
2: home stretch Pompey fans I know there's not much to play for at the moment in time but a few games left enjoy the games while they're still here because they're looking to be missing in the summer And although we've been sort of had a bit of a a battered season, they're not going to be going on in the summer. There's no Euros or anything. So enjoy the games of the last. Have fun with friends, family. Have some beers if you want to drink and enjoy yourselves. But until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast at Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full time whistle!